Wow, how's, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Everybody had a good Canada day? I see one red hat, but I thought we were all wearing red today. No, I forgot. I must say, every Canada day comes around, I get outside, I go into the city, and everyone's wearing red, and I'm like, shoot, I don't own a single thing of red. I apologize, but I trust you guys are having a good weekend. Um, I spoke to Mike and Debs last night. They would love to be here this morning, but they are not feeling too good uh, this week. Um, we had the massive privilege of going out with Mike and Debs uh, to Chicago last week. We weren't here last Sunday because we were in that city over there. And uh, we also went with Matt and Beth and uh, Zoe, our kids administrator as well. And we really just had an amazing time of being ministered to. And, you know, they call it an equip um, because you really do get equipped. Um, Tyron, who leads the NCMI team, is talking about, you know, we hate calling it this thing of conference because, you know, there's this, this thing that you, you sort of consume at a conference. You go to, you know, just enjoy and be entertained, these other things like that. But we really do encourage you. We set these times aside uh, for equips just... For that, we want to do God's ministry. We want to step out in power. Uh, we want the Holy Spirit to come. We want to leave that week with something extra for God's ministry. It's not the 10 things to make yourself a better you or how to be happy in your finances or anything like that, although those things are good. Uh, it's how to be equipped for mission, for God's kingdom, to bring the lost and brokenhearted to Jesus. And again, just thank you for sending us last week. It was a massive, massive time um, for us, even though when you travel, you get sick, and unfortunately, that's what happens to Mike, Mike and Debs. Um, we got a sniffle, but we tested negative, and we're all better now, so that's great as well. Um, maybe I'll just stand back a little bit here. Perfect. Well, yeah, I got a, a real simple message for us here this morning. Uh, Paul was going to preach up here today, um, but he was feeling sick as well. Didn't come to Chicago, but seems like there's a, a, a few little bugs going around. So just sort of was, was seeking uh, God on what to say, and I felt he wanted to talk about... I felt like he wanted to talk about eternity here this morning. You know, <laughs> there's so much going on in the world. There's so many things to talk about. There's so many things to examine the scriptures on. There's so many w directions to head in. And when you think about a lot of things all at once, it can be overwhelming. You can be like, oh God, what are you going to do in this time? And I was reminded in my studies leading up to this week of how one New Testament writer, Paul, ended one of his letters, particularly uh, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians. So he's writing a letter to, to a city of believers, and they've got a whole bunch of stuff that they need to work through. They're working through sexuality, they're working through marriage, divorce, unity, divisions in the church, all sorts of things. If you've heard a message at Oceanside, we probably reference Scripture out of 1 Corinthians every couple of weeks because it has such gold in how we navigate and do life. As we wrestle with the big topics of our times, the New Testament is a resource and pours out consistently, time after time, the direction that we're to go in in each one. But as I thought, God, what is the next topic for here this morning as we're thinking about this series of God, take something from my head and do something in my heart, I felt like God this weekend just wanted to remind us about what he's going to do next. So again, Paul writing to the, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, just before the end of his letter where he does some administrative notes, 
He, he goes into chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you here this morning, if you have a digital version, if you have a physical version, open it up right at the end there, chapter 15. And Lord God, we just pray this morning, Father, would you impress upon our hearts the importance of knowing about the resurrection, of knowing about eternity, Lord God, we can get so consumed with the here and now, with the voices shouting at us from all around, with the situations in our families, in our lives, in our personal, in our personal lives as well, Lord God. But Lord Jesus, we ask you just to lift our eyes this morning from the current circumstance, and we ask you to do the same thing that you wanted to do to the Corinthian church by highlighting this peace to us here this morning. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter, verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is a long chapter, so I'm actually just going to skip through for a few pieces. In verse 19, he goes on and says, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, are of all people most to be pitied. And in verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. So it is with the natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, that's Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And in 49, he says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, talking about Adam, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. He reminds us that Jesus, he reminds the church in Corinth that everything rests on the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't raised, it's all for nothing. Without the resurrection of the dead, that I, we ourselves will one day be buried and then resurrected in new life, our faith is meaningless. My first point, and there's just going to be simple points here this morning, but my first point for us here today, because I think we do this a lot as we navigate, as we preach, that the gospel without resurrection power is pitiful and in vain. I'm surprised by the words that Paul uses here. He says, again, recounting from uh, verse 14 to 19, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom if he did not raise, it is true, sorry, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people, people most to be pitied. The truth of resurrection, church, is our foundation of hope 
as we battle through all these different things in life. Without the resurrection, we have no solution to present to the world. I find in these times where we're talking back and forth with culture, culture's moving at a tremendous place and the Bible is fixed in place. And as we talk with culture, we wrestle about what's right and wrong in the, in the body, in the spirit, in all these different things. But church, I felt like Paul wants to remind us here this morning that if we don't include the resurrection in with our argument to our friends, our families, and co-workers, actually our arguments are in vain. The law cannot save Reminding people of the law cannot save. The only hope for our nations and our peoples and our friends who don't know Jesus is that they not live a righteous life, that they meet Jesus and by meeting him obtain the resurrection from the dead. Who here amongst yourselves know that you cannot raise yourself from the dead? It's not many hands up, but it's, it's a rhetorical question, right? It's a question that nobody here would believe that they can do that. But sometimes we believe it on the outside world. Sometimes we believe that actually you've got to go through those processes. You've got to figure it out first and then meet Jesus. Actually, the life-giving spirit that we have to walk out, church, is one that always uses the resurrection of the dead as the basis of winning the lost. Because it is everything. It's the whole ballpark. There's no game without it. It is the finish line. It's the milestone of what's coming next. It's not how do we fix the laws of our lands. It's how can we raise the dead back to life. And it is only through the resurrection. The world pities the church, doesn't it? was at a wedding yesterday, and it was, it was a great wedding, but there were people there from all walks of life. And when you're, when you're preaching the word at a wedding cer ceremony, when you're preaching the word here, obviously there's, there's people who are Christian and non-Christian, but when you're preaching at a wedding ceremony that's full of people who don't know Jesus, you realize the importance of what you're saying. And you realize that without just, without just preaching facts, without just preaching this is the best way to do your marriage, that it's useless to save people. We must in everything include the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus is coming back to bring new life. No one is going to turn from what is keeping them from God if everything is only based on this life. Again, the world pities us because they don't believe in another life. The world pities the rules that we follow, the, the things that we give our money to, the things that we hold ourselves to because they see no reason for it. Without the resurrection, there's no reason at all. If in Christ, sorry, in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Church, I want us to remember it's all about what's coming next. It's all about the life that is to come. This life isn't easy. This life, listening to God and listening to his scriptures isn't just about having an amazing life on this earth. And we do believe that when you follow the law of God, when you follow his principles, when you follow his life-giving things, that life comes to you in different ways. But if it's just about that, it all shall pass one day. 
The gospel without the resurrection power is pitiful and vain and useless to the world. Reading on to verse 15, my second point is the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Paul talks at length about this. He, again, in your Bibles, turn to verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, sorry, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on the immortality, and then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, sorry, swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your victory, O death, where is your sting? Church, God has been at battle between two kingdoms ever since the fall in the garden. Sometimes we forget that originally there was just one kingdom. It was the kingdom of God. And if we know what the kingdom of God is, it's where God's rule and reigns exist in its fullest form. It's where there's no rebellion. It's where there's no imperfection. It's where there's no, there's no shadow or place to hide away from his presence because he exists in all of it. There was just one kingdom. But now there are two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of death and darkness. And church, the hope for us here this morning and the hope for us who have lost people around us is written in these verses that death will be swallowed up in victory. Just like, you know, the Egyptians chasing the Israelites through the ocean, they were swallowed up in the victory of God. No choice, no question, no battle, no answer, no ability in their own might to stand against the power of the crashing waters that would come against them, death will be swallowed up in victory. And if our preaching doesn't come from this position, it is useless, church. The death that is coming in this world for every man, woman, and child, unless Jesus comes again before that time for each one of us, it's useless unless we partake in his victory. And church, we also need to realize that although we exist in two kingdoms right now, and then we exist in a tension between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, which is God's, that there will one day just be one kingdom again. This is powerful for us. Because as we wrestle, as we go through this series and we say, God, take the knowledge that you've put in our minds and put it into our hearts, the knowledge that we are seeking is not man's best principles for living here on earth. Again, we are going back to one kingdom. Between the two kingdoms right now, humanity is trying to figure out the best way forward that they know how. And because we're in a post-Christian society, because we're in the uh, minority uh, in in this nation in particular, um, we're not going to see the success in the physical laws of the land that, that point towards the new kingdom. But 
The new kingdom, the kingdom that God is building, is coming for every single man, woman, and child. We don't know the time, we don't know the place, but Jesus is coming, church. When we sing these songs, that song that Matt and Beth sung just there, when heaven come down, what we're singing for is the return of Jesus. He's the only one that can heal. He's the only one that can save. And when he comes again in power, every knee shall bow before him. There is just one kingdom coming again soon, church. And as I reflect on this fact, as I reflect on the fact that there is just one kingdom that shall surpass all of this, it makes me want to really get in touch and to know what that kingdom is all about. It means I want to know the king of that kingdom. It means I, want, I don't want to do my own thing. It means I don't just want to use my best, my best um, intention or my best thought over an issue. It's, I want to, God, I want to find your thought on this issue because your thought is the only thought that's going to carry into eternity. Church, we need to be on our knees before the living God, realizing that eternity is coming. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to live in a city with God that there is no hiding from him. It says in Revelation 21, it says, this is a prophecy about the, the new heaven. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first earth and the first earth, that's this one, had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Church, that's an amazing future for us. We will be God's people. Yes, we already are, but there will be no separation. There will be, we will just be there physically with them. He will dwell with us. When Adam and Eve lost everything in the garden, that's what they had before. That's what they had before the fall. If you're new here, if you're new to church, we believe that creation, that everything around us, we don't think about too much of creation in these walls, but in that wedding year, yesterday, we were, we were out by the ocean through these windows. You could see the mountains in the distance. You could see the ocean. You could see life everywhere. If you picked a square meter of that planet, of that, of that, that vista, you could spend the rest of your life studying all the things that God has put in it. God created the world perfect, but then corruption came in and separated us from God. And church, with our preaching, with the lives that we're displaying for the world around us, we need to not just be about what is right and what is wrong, but our lives need to show that we are living, dwelling with the living God. The lives that we live are not attractive lives on paper. <laughs> sacrifice this, put down this, give to that. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are all these other people. The life, the Christian life that is outlined for disciples in the Bible is not attractive apart from the fact that it is with God. And if our lives aren't on display as us dwelling with God in community every day, then we are not displaying anything that the world wants to live in. It is the only thing that we can offer. It is the only thing that we can give to people who are searching. 
And church isn't the world searching for an answer. The world is searching for answers. And you can see in that search for answers, maybe some of you here are searching for answers, you can see in that search for answers that the world is so lost and broken. I don't like to preach on politics, and I wasn't really going to go here, but social media in the last two weeks with what happened in the States with the rulings and stuff, the social media feeds were ablaze with people trying to figure out right from wrong, trying to figure out what was best. Even people in this community were posting things saying, man, it's so broken. The new system, yes, the law, whatever's happened, but look, look at this broken system. And of course, we know from the Bible that God, at conception of life, that that is life for God. We see that time and time in the scriptures. And sorry, I wasn't going to go here this morning, so it's not well thought out, but... So that's not for this morning, sorry. For us, we know that life begins at conception, and it's God's choice. But our heart does break for the world as they try and figure out a solution. And they're trying to figure out a solution without an eternity. They're trying to figure out a solution without a God. They're trying to figure out a solution without a, a, a well-grounded definition of truth and definition of life. So there is freedom to say, well, maybe life starts here or here or here or here. And if it doesn't start there, well, maybe it starts down here and then we can fix a whole bunch of brokenness in the world. But the trouble with a broken solution is it leads to more brokenness. It leads to more heartache. And if you're going through some of that stuff here this morning, maybe, maybe you have a connection with, with some of this here this morning. Which we want to say that we're here for you. We partner with charities in the city that work with, with people who have gone through this and who are struggling. But the world is wrestling. And church, I felt like for us, as we, as we saw what people were posting and, and poured out and... I don't think any of the Christians who were posting on the side of things were being angry that the law was changing. They were sort of ignoring the life and death stuff, and they were, they were sort of going for more of the, hey, the church isn't doing enough. The people who have made the rules are not doing enough. But church, as, as, as these scriptures got me here this morning, I felt just yelling out was that the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. The earthly things cannot inherit the heavenly things. And I just got this silly picture for us here this morning as we figure out as Christians what to pick up, what is right, what battles to fight, which side of which battle to fight on. And I got this picture of a banana. <laughs> Great picture, hey? Serious topic. Picture of a banana. It's a, it's, a, it's a fruit that doesn't cause any offense. Everybody likes bananas. They're, they're good. They're, they're awesome. But if you put, if you try and travel with a banana, I don't know what it is about a banana, but you cannot travel with them. Every couple weeks, I get my hopes up for our kids, and I think, hey, my kids love bananas. I'm going to put one in that backpack for daycare. And I, I seem to forget what have come before, but if you're a parent or you know, if you're a, or if you're a school child who used to pack your own lunches, you'll know that at an instant a banana goes in your backpack, and once it travels along the journey with you, it comes out as what? Mush. Brown mush. 
And I felt in this silly picture that God was saying, be careful what you pick up in this life as good-looking fruit. We are on a journey on, as a church and as a people towards a resurrected life. That fruit's tasty. That fruit's good. It nourishes. It, it's bright yellow. It's perfect. It's happy. It's the happiest fruit I've ever seen. But it looks good right now, but it's not intended for the journey that we're going on. That perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. And church, the journey for us that we are going on is an imperishable journey. So don't pick up imperishable fruit. It looks good right now. It tastes good right now. But the fruit is turning rotten because it wasn't found in the original kingdom of God. It's a new one. Chapter, the first 14 chapters of 1 Corinthians is explaining to the people, do this and do that. And then the last two chapters, the last chapter, chapter 15, is saying we're going on a journey and you've got to pick up the fruit for this thing. My third and final point here this morning for us is found in Philippians 3.20. So if you, have your, if you have your Bible again, turn to Philippians 3.20. And my third point for us here is that heavenly citizenship comes with bodily transformation, real bodily transformation. Philippians 3.20, and I love this. I absolutely love this. The verses that I find myself loving the most are selfish verses when it talks about what I'm going to be like in heaven <laughs> because it's going to fix all the stuff that I find difficult right now. In Philippians 3.20, again, it's talking about Christians who's, who've come under the lordship of Jesus. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Everybody say, Andy's got a lowly body. No, just kidding. Will transform, thank you for not saying that. That's very nice. No, but biblical truth, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Church, we have lowly bodies, right? I think the thing we say to our wives at every anniversary is, you've just never looked so beautiful before. And it's true, actually, I will say, my wife, I find more beautiful than I originally found her when we, when we were first married. Because it's not just a physical connection, it's a spiritual connection as well. But the reality for our bodies, church, is that something is broken within them. What have we got? We've got aging. We've got teeth. Just how many parents are paying for very expensive dental things for their kids right now? It's very, any dentist in the room? Boo, you're very expensive. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm British. We, we get free dental and all that stuff. Uh, not very good teeth either. But um, we know that by looking at our bodies that, hey, my teeth don't feel right. This aging process doesn't feel right. Physical sickness. We've got people who aren't here this morning just because it wasn't right for them to come in and, and spread that physical sickness. We've got mental sickness as well. We've got weariness and fatigue all around us. Our bodies are lowly. And what our society gets right is that they know something is broken. 
Our society isn't idiots. The world aren't wrong. This world is trying time and time again to fix the lowly body, to fix aging, to fix the teeth, to fix the mental disorders, to fix the physical disorders. We spend huge and huge resources, and we're really getting really, really good at fixing certain different things. I'm wearing glasses this morning. Without it, I don't know how it would be. I'd be like one of those prehistoric people who died in their 20s because I wouldn't be able to eat or do anything. So thank you, Michael Kellum, for, for, for glasses. Perfect. We have lowly bodies, and the world knows that something is wrong. But church, because the world doesn't know about the resurrection, because the world doesn't know that there's another world, because the world doesn't know that there's just one kingdom coming back, every solution that the world tries to present to fix the broken body is what? It's either limited in its power or it's wrong altogether. The world has good intentions to try and fix the brokenness in the world. But without the living God, church, it cannot be fixed. The world has put all its eggs in the here and now. But what I love, again, is that we are going from a lowly body to a glorious body. One thing that has been never said to me, no one has ever in their life said to me that, Andy, you have a glorious body. <laughs> Nobody ever in their right mind would say that. But it's true. Our bodies will someday, church, become glorious and glorious in his presence that of Jesus Christ, he has the power to make all things subject to himself. So he's going to transform all the brokenness that we feel every single day and that we wish there was a solution here now for. And he's going to fix it all and make our bodies glorious. There is hope for us here today. There is hope for us here today, church. And Romans 8.23 says, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of, us, of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Church, I want to tell you that it's okay to struggle with your body. It's okay to feel like something is not right. Even the apostles are saying we are eagerly await for the redemption of our bodies. We eagerly await for a solution, and the solution is Christ, and the solution is found in his presence, and the transformation that comes with being in the presence of Christ. A spiritual body cannot be, cannot be in the presence of Christ without being transformed into the very image of Christ. And as we just invite the worship team up, I just wanted to remind us of the points here this morning. Why look at the resurrection? Why spend our days looking and hoping on what is the future? Because the perception of the future things changes the present. Our perception of what is coming changes our lives in the present. Our perception of what is, we look at the weather forecast and we change our perception of how we're going to do that day. We change our camping trips, we change everything, we change the type of food we're going to bring, we change it all based on the weather. 
But based on the eternity, we find that we don't change much because there's a lot of years here to come. But our perception of the future changes what we are going to do in the present church. So lift up your eyes to God. Lift up to eyes to where you will be. In your struggles with your bodies and your afflictions, lift up your eyes to that glorious body that you will have one day in Christ Jesus. The gospel without resurrection power is pitiful and vain. Words of the Bible. Stop living lives without it. Stop living lives without the resurrection happening, without it being on display for the world around us. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. And heavenly citizenship comes with complete and utter transformation when we stand before Jesus. And church, as we stand and just respond here, I just invite you to stand. I felt like this isn't going to be a call to the front or anything like that. But again, I, I felt just in preparation that, that there, were these, there were these pictures just of hands before God. And there's the, there's the closed hand before God, and then there's the open hand before God. And I felt God impressed just as we end here that God wants us to open our hands with the things that we have picked up. As we live out this life, as we go along this journey, even for myself, church, as we read the scriptures and we come face to face with what an actual holy God looks like, I find myself having to open my hands and to put down the ideas and the thoughts and the values that I've picked up along this journey that, if I'm honest, are perishing and are coming along to the next life. And I felt like what God wants to do here this morning, even though it's hard and even though it's challenging and even though there's a lot more that needs to be said on all these different subjects, is that actually God has something new to give you. But actually in that pain of struggling with what you've picked up and what's in your hands and seeing that it's a different struggle to everybody else all around you and we all have different things, that actually God wants, wants to put something eternal and unperishable, something that doesn't need repentance of because it's a gift from God himself. God wants to bring change into our lives. He wants to bring hope into our lives and he even wants to heal today in our lives as well. Again, looking at that verse as we say, looking at that song we sung earlier, let heaven come along this place. When Jesus walked the earth, he did preach about the future. He did preach about the resurrection. He did preach about heaven and what life was going to be like. But he also exploded that life into the world around him as he walked in the cities. People sought him out. People crowded around him. They wanted to get close because it wasn't just life that was to come. It was life here today. Life that could change the circumstances that they found themselves in, that nobody else could offer. We heard about it last week. The guy with the millions and the millions of dollars couldn't find the solution for himself, but he found it in the living God. In 2 Corinthians, the next letter, the follow-up, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The funny thing is, church, is that we already live 
in relationship with God in eternity. <laughs> eternity, while there is a new heaven, while there is a new earth coming, and then while there is new bodies and there's a resurrection coming, the relationship, the transformative relationship with Christ begins today if your relationship with Christ begins today. If your relationship with Christ began 15 years ago, then it began 15 years ago and nothing can stop the transformative light, transformative light in your life from coming through. And church, while we eagerly await the adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies, it's also for us here, here this morning. We can pick up what God is laying down or giving to us. There is a new fruit, and it's more beautiful than any earthly fruit that we've ever seen. It's everlasting. It fills us. We will never thirst again with the water that God is giving us. Let's pray. Fat Wes, would you pray for us?